So we've been spending, as a church, we, we preach in sermon series, and we have a three-week sermon series called Devoted. It, it comes out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42, and let me just read it to you. They, they devoted themselves. This is the first church as they're gathering and just starting. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These, these four things, we're spending three months looking at these four things that the first church devoted themselves to, saying, God, what are you calling us to, and how do we lean into that? So in May, we went through we, we, kind of the apostles' teaching, and we went through in the New Testament a book of James, the book of James. You remember this? And we went through James, but mainly to talk about how to read the Bible. How, how do we lean in and learn from the Bible? Michelle did an awesome job talking about the author, the importance of author and context. And she went on the biblical scavenger hunt of who is James. It was excellent. Uh, then, then Tyler and I talked about observation, interpretation, application. We remember that? And then one morning, Paul led us, and all together, remember we circled up in groups and you all did it, and it was great. And, and we heard all of these positive things about it um, and, and really enjoyed that morning. So we did, did it together. And last week, Jeff Benson came up and said, here's another way to lean into Scripture. It's called Lectio Divina, and he walked us through that. So different ways of engaging and learning from and growing from God's Word and from the Scriptures. Lord, help us be devoted to the apostles' teaching. In July, we're going to be focused on prayer. We're going to be focused on prayer, and there's much excitement. We're going to hit prayer from a bunch of different angles, and I think a number of them, you might even be uncomfortable at the get-go with some of them, or you're going to say, that's a different way. So someone's going to be like, oh, I know that way of prayer. Wow, I don't know that way of prayer. What's that going to be? So I'm excited for our church to expand and to lean into our engagement with, with prayer. And then this month, we're sitting in the middle, fellowship and breaking of bread, Fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, the, the, the connection, the unique God-centered community. And breaking of bread, is that both the communion, like what we did today when we start communion, or just having a good meal together, which we like to do both. But really, both of them are focused on the unique God-centered community of, of believers when they come together. What is a distinct God-centered community? What, what does Christian community demand of us? Are we experiencing community, unique Christian community? How do we experience? What does it look like? How is it different? I've been, when I, I've been in a few different life groups in this church, and the first life group I was a part of is when our kids were little. They were like being born little, babies and little kids. And for those of you who do life groups with little kids, you need a double medal, like just it, all, all of the logistics of that and figuring it out. But so we had little kids and we would I have all kinds of fun stories, but I'm not going to tell you those. And but it was a great group. I think it was four or five couples. And then one of the couples got pregnant. Oh, we're all excited and we're all having babies. And so they're having a baby. And so they have the baby and it's their first baby. And we were all excited. Hey, uh, she's gorgeous. And he, you know, the dad was super happy and the mom was super happy. And about three months in, the baby started to just not be doing well. 
long story short, um, over the next four to five months, uh, they spent most of all the time in the hospital and, and with her. And she had a disease that, that her lungs slowly shut down. And so our life group, like it still hits me, our life group gathered on this sacred day and hard day in the hospital when they had, when she was only at eight months old alive through machines keeping her breathing and they, they knew they were going to stop the machines and so we went in and each held her and prayed, uh, read scripture, prayed over the family and then our life group stepped out and they, you know, they, they held their girl as she died. And uh, we had the funeral service here, and it was really hard and really powerful. And so the dad, he and I would hang out quite a bit, and he said to me, he said, Matt, this is a few months down the road afterwards. He goes, hey, Matt, he goes, you ever need someone to talk about life groups in this church? He goes, let me stand up and talk about life groups. He goes, I do not know how we could have made it at all through what we went through if we didn't have this community. Not just this church, like this church rallied around us when we went through this hard time, but the community, the inner circle of our life group. He goes, the meals you guys made us, the, the prayers you gave, just showing up and just sitting with us. And he goes, man, I believe in life groups. And really what he was saying is, man, I've experienced this raw, powerful, God-centered community in a way, in, in the place of my deepest need, and I didn't have it a few years ago. And if I, if I didn't have it when I went through this, I don't know how I could have made it. We have a deep need, friends, for one another in good days and in bad. And we really feel it in the bad days. And, and so what is, when we just say, okay, community, human connection, what is the state of community? And I think this is important. It's important for us to just have this lens. What is the state of community in the United States right now? The state of connection. Let me share some stats. I did some research over the past week and two weeks, and I actually found some really powerful truths. This Harvard study in 2020 said, hey, 36 of Americans, 36% of Americans feel serious loneliness. Over a third. 61% of young adults seriously lonely. 51% of moms with young kids feel so alone. Social isolation is at an all-time high in our country, any that we've measured it. Social isolation is at an all-time high. And let me give you some terms and define some terms for you that are important. Social isolation is the truth that you have few to no social relationships. Different than loneliness, loneliness is subjective feelings or emotions of perceived isolation. 
I feel like I don't have any friends. I feel like nobody knows me. That, that's loneliness. Social isolation is I ain't got no friends. I don't have any circles of people that I trust and that I know. The very beginning of this month, on May 3rd, the U.S. Surgeon General released a 50-page paper called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, in which he said loneliness in the United States of America is a public health concern. Loneliness, listen to this, loneliness, when it comes to our health, loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The health effects of loneliness are the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Just from a health concern and a health perspective. That in this paper, the Surgeon General recognizes social connection is a fundamental human need as essential to survival as food, water, and shelter. If you want to survive as a human being, says the U.S. Surgeon General, and if you want to eat and drink water and have shelter, you need social connection. You need community. Let, let me read, I'm just going to read a paragraph that was written in this report, especially when it comes to churches. Membership, says the Surgeon General, in organizations that have been important pillars of community connection, they have declined significantly over the last 40 years. Take faith organizations, for example. Research produced by Gallup, Pew Research Center, and the National Opinion Research Center's General Social Survey demonstrates that since the 1970s, religious preference, affiliation, and participation among U.S. adults has declined. In 2020, only 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. This is down from 70% in 1999, and it represents a dip below 50% for the first time in the history of the United States. Religious or faith-based groups can be a source for regular social contact. They can serve as a community of support, provide meaning and purpose, create a sense of belonging around shared values and beliefs, and they are associated with reduced risk-taking behaviors. As a consequence of this decline in participation, individuals' health may be undermined in different ways. I, I mean, the Surgeon General is saying, our country is hurting because one of these main pillars of connection of, of, of a church community are disappearing in our country, and the health of our country is hurting because of it. We are biologically wired for social connection. Let me read one more shorter paragraph from the Surgeon General. The world is just beginning to recognize the vital importance of social connection. 
While the evidence of the severe consequences of social isolation and loneliness and overall social disconnect has been building for decades, a global pandemic crystallized and accelerated the urgency for the United States to establish a national strategy to advance social connection. Such a strategy not only recognizes the critical importance of advancing social connection, but also serves as a commitment to invest in and take actions establishing that our connection with others is a core value of this nation. He's like, we need to create a strategy because people have to be connected. And the more lonely and isolated they get, the unhealthier they get, and and, and the fabric starts to wear away of what it is to be human. Only 39% of adults responded that they felt very connected to others. Why? Like, why is our country like this? Why are... Is that social media? So, social media, what's an interesting thing, social media shown to help a little bit when older people, those of us who are a bit older, it helps us to feel connected. But younger people, over and over studies are showing how, how it makes them feel more disconnected. If you spend two hours, young people hear this, and old people, you are likely... You're twice as likely to feel social isolation if you're using social media for two hours or more a day. How is our society structured that that is contributing to this epidemic? I mean, it's an epidemic of loneliness. And we could talk things like, yeah, social media, busyness, just activity, COVID, and and what it did in isolating. We could talk all of that, but I, I want to talk about values that we hold as Americans, just for a minute. You guys know when you look at a map and all the colors of the, like, the countries, the map of the world, and all different countries are in a different color. It's like, whenever I see that, I always think, man, all of these countries have these different cultures that hold different values, and there's some beautiful things about uh, these cultures, and there's some downsides to these cultures, and I'm not looking to bash America on Memorial Day weekend, Right? We live in an incredible country, and our freedoms were purchased by, by the blood, shed blood of others, and we honor that. But, but we also need to see where some of our strengths have consequences. We are a people who deeply value autonomy. We are individuals. We don't depend on anyone else. And when you don't have to depend on someone else, when you provide for yourself, look out for number one. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is prize. Well, you are a self-made man. You are a self-made woman. You are so independent. You have paved your own way. We have a declaration of independence. It's not just saying our country is independent from Britain. It's like we have a declaration of independence of ourselves. I am independent. I don't need you. I can figure it out on my own. We are self-focused. This is seen so often in, like, my rights. My rights, you can't do that. I have rights. I'm protected. You can't, you, you can't do that. And it goes beyond just protecting justice and dignity for individuals. 
And it becomes a language for individuals to do whatever feels good to them. The, the self becomes the, the biggest purveyor of truth, and if it feels right, do it. Virtues of faithfulness or commitment or long-suffering or, or patience are pushed aside because my rights and my desires, and you can't tell me what to do. And personal gain is another one. What is in it for me? How am I going to get ahead? How am I going to benefit? And, and really, this personal gain to uh, looking out for number one, when it's applied to relationships, it moves our relationships from, from being interdependent to being transactional. What can I get from you? What can you get from me? True community is not transactional. It is interdependent. You are not meant to live life alone. Let, let me just break the bubble. You are not independent. You, you are not a self-made person. You, you cannot, you know, and we're, we talk on this on all kinds of levels, but I love this. Like, take that deep breath of air. Do you understand it's a gift? You are not processing it in, into your body. You're not digesting your breakfast because you're brilliant. Like, we are so dependent. Don't eat for a few days. Seriously, fasting is so good. Don't eat for a few days. Tough guy. No. We're created, friends, for community, and our nation is starving for community. And our values, though, often eat at the very fabric of community. And so when we talk about a God-centered community or that God has created us, that they devoted themselves to, to fellowship and, and to breaking of bread, where do we start? Where do we start? And, and simply put, I'm going I'm to lay out something You're like, Matt, that's maybe too easy, but the greatest commandment. And I said, Jesus, what is like the most important thing that we obey, that we follow, that we do? What is it? And he says, man, it's this love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is not, listen, take what I've given to you, multiply it, and be the best version of yourself. Like work really hard. The greatest commandment is not individualistic. It's not autonomous. It's not self-focused. It is relational. God, like, what's the most important thing that you created us? What is the most important thing? And love me. Love others as you love yourself. It's relational. The greatest commandment is deeply relational and communal. My family, I, I feel like I haven't said this for a while, but what I love to say to our family is I say, hey, we are the richest people in the world. And we ain't got much money, so my kids are always like, what? 
I said, yeah, we are the richest people in the world, and we are, we are committed to measuring our wealth by the quality of our relationships. I like that. Like, hey, instead of chasing money, let's, like, chase healthy relationships. Friends, the degree to which we know one another is the degree to which we can love one another. Love God, love others, love yourself. You cannot love what you do not know. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has a quote in his book, uh, Life Together. I, I love this. He says this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Like, no, I, I'm going to keep this idealistic vision of what community is and what it should be. And oftentimes the idealized vision gets ruined because people, right? People keep messing up my great picture of community. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, uh, it starts in hell and then it's his fictional book of starting in hell and going to heaven. And it's a story of why all these people choose to get back and go back to hell instead of stay in heaven. Great book. Um, in, in hell, they, people can create a house just by thinking about it, is what C.S. Lewis paints this picture. So I can just think of a house and boom, I have a new house. Uh, the problem is the house doesn't keep the rain out, but it looks like a nice house. And so these people keep having, you know, they come down and they're having a connection with someone and then he offends me and ticks me off, so I move further away from him. Dang it, you know, like neighbors. Ugh, I don't like that neighbor, so I move further away and I can just build another house. But then someone over here, that neighbor kind of ticks me off too. So, dang it, I'm going to go way over here and, and build me another house. Until someone over there ticks me off, right? And, and so I, I, I come back over here and build another house. And, and C.S. Lewis has this picture where, where hell just keeps getting further and further apart until you are totally isolated. Totally isolated. We are created for community. We are created to know and be known. And to love God and one another and love self, they grow together. The more we have right relationship with God, we'll have right relationship with ourselves. We have right relationship with others. Let me share one more quote uh, from Tim Keller, who died this past week. And Tim Keller's been a great theologian and pastor the last 30 years, I think 40 years. Written a lot of great books, so a lot of us know him. So he was a giant. Let me read you something he said. He said, listen, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. You know, oh, I love you, bro. Dude, you don't even know what's going on in my life. Like, thank you, but you don't know. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Some of us have all this self-protection around us because we're scared if people really get to know us, you're going to reject us, and that's our greatest fear. So we build walls and we keep at a distance. 
Keller goes on and says, but to be fully known and truly loved. Well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything, to be fully known and fully loved. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our own self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us to be fully known and fully loved. So I was sitting in Acts 2.42 this week saying, God, what distinguishes Christian community? Like, what what is a God-centered community? And and I was reading this, this section of Scripture. I'm going to make it real easy for you today. Just, just remember this one word if you don't remember anything else from today. L- let me just read, starting in verse 44, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, together, together, together. We are not made to live alone. We are, we are not independent. We are made to be interdependent. And church is a family. Friends, we are a body with different gifts. The Bible talks about this and distinct and different functions, yet we need one another. You need people. We need community. And so what distinguishes God-centered community? Instead of autonomy, no, it's a recognition, interdependency. We need one another. And what we do affects one another. And we have responsibilities within the community. We're not self-focused first. We're saying God-focused. God, what have you created us to be? What do you want? Not just what do my passions or desires or fleeting momentary wants. God, let me be led by something greater than myself. Give me context. And instead of personal gain where relationships are transactions, it is deeply relational. What's in it for me? What can I get? No, us. How can we serve? I mean, it's kind of fun. We bring Gary Mote up, right, and just say, Gary, thank you for the ways you've served this community and help make it run and do so many things behind the scenes. We recognize that. We depend on you. We need you. Thank you. So for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to talk about community through the lens and what is uniquely God-centered community. We're going to talk about the context of family We're going to be talking about engaging in conflict because, oh, we get offended by one another and and split and divide so much. So we're going to be talking about conflict a little bit as we seek to have God-honoring community. We're going to talk about shared mission 
and being in something together like, you know, a team has a shared goal and how that builds and solidifies community. So we're going to look at community from a number of different angles and be challenged over the next few weeks. And I want to invite you online or in person to lean in. God, how do we grow in our devotion to you through a God-centered community? I'm going to finish with uh, giving us a little bit of time to reflect. And you, you, you need to be able to answer, how does this land in your living room? Right? Let me read one final. Before we do that, let me read one other final quote from the Surgeon General's report. He said, hey, each of us can start now in our own lives by strengthening our connections and our relationships. Our relationships with one another They're an untapped resource. They're a source of healing, hiding in plain sight. They can help us live healthier, more productive, and more fulfilled lives. Answer that phone call from a friend. Make time to share a meal. Listen without the distraction of your phone. Perform an act of service. Express yourself authentically. Be who you really are. And share it with some others. The keys to human connection are simple, but extraordinarily powerful. Surgeon General is writing this. You guys know this church, we have this distinguishing mark of saying, God, you've called us to have authentic relationships and to build authentic relationships with God and one another. And our community and our country are literally dying, dying for those connections. So let's just do a personal assessment. And kind of we can close our eyes again and sit in this as we, as we move into to worshiping God. Let, let me just speak real honestly. We don't really believe in, we don't believe in shame, guilting, weirdness. So, like, commit to that within yourself as well. If, if you answer some of these and it's not what you would hope or it's not ideal, don't be like, nah, nah, nah. Just be able to be honest. Yeah, man, I'm lonely. And I have a hard time with friends. It's okay. Say it. Recognize it. Or the flip side. God, I got a lot of great friends. Thank you. So let's close our eyes again. And I'm going to just walk us through a couple things. I'll just ask, honestly, are you, are you experiencing social isolation? Do you not have any close friends or family? Are you lonely? Where are you lonely? Do you have good friends? Do you have friends in your life? Maybe even some, you have friends, but you haven't been as genuine with them. Maybe you're married and your spouse. Is your spouse a friend? So what do you sense in needs maybe to be adjusted? What's God pointing out? 